Today we look at the idea that God welcomes the weeping. He welcomes our weeping. I mean, sometimes we think we have to be like uh, somehow perfect or somehow have it all together before we come before the Lord. And yet what a blessing today in this passage to find out that God actually welcomes our weeping, our brokenness, our anger, <laughs> our, our misunderstanding when we don't understand things and we cry out to him. Uh, I mean, sometimes, sometimes the hurt and the pain that we're going through is so horrific and, and so much that we can't even speak. We can only weep. I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've been there yet, but I, I, I know that you will because this, this world is broken and we are hurt and we are, are, are facing pain and betrayal and heartache and anger all, all day long with people. And yet, thank God for his word that reminds us that he's a, a God who welcomes our weeping and he provides comfort in our chaos. And so today we're going to take a look at Hannah, as she understands this very well, this idea that we as humans face, because of sin, we face times where we can't even speak. We can only weep. And we're going to see a threefold picture of Hannah as we look at her. We're going we're to take a threefold look. We're going to see a woman, first of all, who's weeping. So we're going to see a weeping woman. And then we're going to see a misunderstood woman. And finally, we're going to see a peaceful woman woman. So we're going to progress through the, the, courses, uh, the course of our, uh, our uh, passage today. But let's notice this weeping woman that we find here as we begin in verses 4 through 7. It says, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. That's significant. All her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. So two things here in our text that show us why Hannah wept. Two things that were causing her weeping. And the first was that she was barren. She was barren. Um, this is a very painful thing. Uh, especially uh, this culture, uh, ch childbearing was the mark of, of what a woman was to do. Uh, this, this, this was it. And I'm going to say this today. Uh, it is what the Bible teaches us, that women are created. Uh, not only with the ability to have children, but with a desire to have children. And that, that's just a, a natural thing. You see children play, uh, little girls play a, a doll. They play house. They, they, they think about that day when they will have children. However, as we see in our text, twice, by the way, it's mentioned, God closed her womb. And that means what it says. God is sovereign. God closed Hannah's womb. So as we see here, it's not, even though it's God's general design for women to have children, it's not always God's will for every woman to have a child. Um, even today, the number I think is 15% of couples struggle with infertility. The clinical definition, by the way, of infertility used in that um, statistic is the inability to conceive after at least one year of trying. So that does include a lot of people. My wife and I were included in that the first five years of our marriage. We tried for five years to have children. 
and did not. And God in his grace, after year five, something happened. <laughs> so three, three children, thank, they, thankfully by his grace. Um, and yet, this is the tough subject, right? Because we don't know why God chooses to close the womb of some and, and not allow some to have children. We have to trust his wisdom, obviously, as believers especially. That's all we can do. He is God. And though there's pain, we have to remember that we are not, if we can't have children, we're not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God because, as I just said, God is sovereign. So it's not some strange mistake or something that has caught God off guard. So there's a, a place to rest and, and know that, okay, I will trust in him. And maybe there's things we need to consider to pray about. Maybe foster parenting, adopting children, assisting with other family members who have children. I mean, these, this is what um, we should pray about and say, Lord, what, what would you have me do? And yet for Hannah, I mean, even that's bad enough, okay? And especially in a culture that that is your identity and that is your value. And if you cannot bear children, you're useless. You're done. You're on the scrap heap of humanity. You're, you're just, you're done. What, what good is a woman with that she's not going to have children? That was the, the mindset. So not only was the barren part bad enough for Hannah, but she was bullied, number two. So she was barren, and she was bullied. And this wife, Penina, her name says it all, Penina, what a name, Penina. If you're Penina, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the, but it, it uses that terminology about her. It says her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So Penina was a mina, mini, mini patini. I mean, she was mean. Dale Ralph Davis helps us kind of understand this in his commentary. He has written a kind of a little monologue between the two, uh, and it's, it's fictitional, but it really helps us kind of grab the feeling of what Hannah's going through and, and, and the kind of bullying that she would have been, you know, uh, you know just, just exposed to. Um, as they picture this, one day as they're heading to Shiloh on their yearly visits, the multiple yearly visits uh, to, to, to worship, picture this. Penina, as they're getting ready, says, Now, do all you children have your, your food? Oh, dear me, there are so many of you. It's hard to keep track. Mommy, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. Uh, what did you say, dear? I said, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. There you go. Stay focused. <laughs> so Miss Hannah doesn't have any children, says the little one again. And she says, what did you say, honey? I said, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. Doesn't she want children? Doesn't she want them? Oh, yes, she wants children very much. Would you say that's true, Hannah? D don't you wish you had children too? Doesn't daddy want Miss Hannah to have kids? Oh, certainly he does. But Miss Hannah keeps disappointing him. She can't have kids. Why not, mommy? Why? Because God won't let her. Does God not like Miss Hannah, mommy? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, by the way, Hannah, did I tell you I'm pregnant again? So I'm just saying that's a little bit of a drama for us, but it kind of puts us in the very heart of where Hannah is, right? The this pain that she must face by these digs and dig after dig after dig 
and the bullying that was going on. So not only was she barren, but she was just reminded of it every waking moment by Penina, that second wife of Elkanah. Verse 7 kind of just puts it right where, where she is. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept. So can we feel where Hannah is now? We kind of empathize with her. She wept and would not eat because of this pain. But not only was she a weeping woman, she was a misunderstood woman. She was misunderstood. She misunderstood by her husband, number one, Elkanah. He, mis- he, he didn't get it. Look at verse 8. <laughs> and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? What's wrong? You know, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Wow. <laughs> Thanks for the help, Alcana. I mean, think about it. He, he responds with, with, with the old, hey, it's not that bad. That's kind of our default counseling, right? Somebody's going through pain. We say, well, it's not that bad. It could always be worse. <laughs> Let me just say, don't say that. That is not helpful. The old, it's not that bad. It could always be worse. You could be a widow too. But you've got me, God's gift to women. That's kind of, right? That's kind of what he's saying here. <laughs> it, it, and yet we, we, we learn something here. And we do learn one thing that I want to say that Elkanah was on track a little bit. He was bad with his execution here. But I will say this, husbands and wives, we do have to understand that there's a truth there that our spouse is worth more to us than 10 or 12 or whatever kind of number of children we have. We have to understand that in the relationship between a husband and wife, that is first. We are to lay down our life for our, our wives and, and love and serve our husbands. That, that, that should be our, our that, that's where we find this, this unity. Because what happens is if, if we don't, and if we are placing all the value on those children and not on each other, when those children are gone, we don't have each other. We don't know each other. So I just want to give that little bit of practical thing that Elkanah was kind of on the right track. And that first and foremost, we should find our joy in our spouse. And yes, love and raise our kids together for the glory of God, but not make them the idol. And yet he was way off base with his approach to say, well, you know, hey, you know, what are you worried about? It's okay. It could be worse. So look, in order for us to comfort those who are weeping, we have to first acknowledge that they are genuinely in pain. That's the first step to comfort those who are weeping, is to acknowledge Simply acknowledge that they are weeping and must be in pain and that that pain is real. And that's all we have. That's first step number one. Probably the best counseling thing we can do is just listen and understand that they're hurting and that, they're, and that they are genuinely weeping. Not immediately try to explain it away or somehow rationalize why it's really no big deal. And that has been my 
that is my default. I want to fix it now. If somebody's crying, stop that crying. What do we do to fix this? Let's do something to fix this. There's got to be something, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. Stop that. And yet that doesn't help. I remember <laughs> as a young tad, I went in the backyard playing. I forget exactly, exactly what I was playing, but I was running. My dad was out there too. I was running along, having a great old time. I trip and hit the ground, boom, and I hit so much, so just fell so fast, hit my chest. I knocked the wind out of myself. So I'm like, huh. And at that moment, my universe is imploding. I was like six, seven, eight, I don't know, somewhere in there maybe. And I'm thinking, I'm dying. Death is calling for me now. And so I'm like, I don't know what happened. And I'm just, I just need, and I start crying. Whatever can come out. And my dad, in great attentiveness, looks at me and says, walk it off. <laughs> and goes on by, walk it off. Walk it off. I am in pain and death and misery and I can't even breathe. At least you should stop and say, whoa, that's, I know that hurts. That's so bad when you get the wind knocked out. You had such a bad thing. It's, it, it, and then move to, but it happens to people. It's okay, you're going to live. Then do that. But, but I mean, the first thing is not to try to fix it. The first thing is not to move right to the, it's okay, you're going to be okay. It's, it's, the first thing is to acknowledge the weeping, acknowledge the pain, acknowledge there's a problem. And then try to move from there and walk it off together. <laughs> but she was misunderstood not just by her husband, but she was misunderstood by the high priest, Eli. Notice verses 9 through 14. And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, and this is part of the celebratory feast, part of the sacrifices, right? And then they would partake of that, uh, that, that offering and sacrifice, and he would give portions, as it already said, uh, portions to, to Penina and all of her children, and a double portion to Hannah because he loved her, even though she couldn't have children. And yet, this is what's happening. And after that, it says this. After the feast, Hannah rose. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Now, there are some questions here for those who've been keeping up and realize that the tabernacle is what's there. The temple is not going to be built now for many, many years until Solomon builds it. There is no temple. And so why did it say temple here? This is probably referring, talking about the seat at the, at the doorpost of the temple. There, since, again, the tabernacle has been in Shiloh now for over 300 years. And so most probably they have built some permanent structures of entryway and, and uh, uh, galleyway to, to enter into the tabernacle. And that's where this is probably at. And they called that a temple, the permanent structure. But it was not the temple. It's still the tabernacle. She was deeply distressed. Now, so, so she enters in and, and she's deeply distressed. And here's the one good thing we see is that her brokenness and her weeping led her to God led her to cry out to God. So she does enter into the temple. She misses old sly Eli sitting there watching her by the pillar. She didn't see him. But she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, Oh, Lord of hosts, 
If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you, you wino. That's his, uh, he misunderstood. She, she was misunderstood. She, she, he thought she was drunk. And, you know, again, she's mumbling. Her mouth is moving, weeping, but no words. And so, you know, he's, uh, here's, here's a woman, drunk woman, here in the temple. That was his first impression. And let me say something at this moment. I know we get on Eli and say, come on, Eli. Are you kidding? Let me just say, as your pastor, let, let me say this, that I will misunderstand you at times. Um, I will hurt you uh, by giving you advice before I completely understand what you're going through. I'll misjudge you because I didn't take time to listen and, and understand what's going on. I will try to fix things before I listen. So I will, I will misunderstand you because I'm a human. Okay, so I just want to say that. I won't do it intentionally. I don't want to hurt you intentionally. I don't want to misguide you intentionally, but I just want to be honest with you that I am a human, and therefore I will, mis I will misunderstand you at times because I jump to conclusions like, like any human. However, we have a great high priest who will never misunderstand us. We, ha we have a great high priest who knows us better than anyone else could ever know us. And so th this is the glorious connection we have here with this human, you know, kind of corrupt high priest compared and contrasted with our glorious heavenly high priest. And I want to take a, just a look at him. He, he's seen here in Hebrews 4.15. He's the one who understands our pain and sympathizes with it because he has been there. Hebrews 4.15 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. For the believer, that is our hope. That is our courage. That is where we rest in this high priest who already knows everything about us before we ever approach him. He's been rejected He's been bullied. He's been betrayed. He's been falsely accused. He's wept at the grave of a loved one. He's done all everything. Every pain that, that has been heaped upon us has already been heaped upon him and more so. John eleven thirty three through 35 gives us a glimpse into this, this one who empathizes and sympathizes with us. Verse 33, the setting is uh, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus has died. And the surrounding part of that is very, very interesting because they came to Jesus days before, four, four or more days before 
he was dead and said, please come, he's sick, he's going to die. And Jesus could have made the trip very quickly, but he waited two extra days to even leave and begin the, the, the two or three day journey. So he knew what was going on here. This is all set up by a sovereign God. And yet, watch the humanity part. This is the things we really, as little finite humans, can't understand. The deity of Christ and the humanness of Christ. And yet, look what it says. Jesus, when he arrives to the scene where Lazarus has already died, it says this. When Jesus saw her weeping, he saw Mary. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. So they walk over to the tomb. And here it is, the shortest verse and yet the most powerful packed verse. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The cruel the cruel in the Greek, wept. That, that means literally shed tears. Wow. Again, theologically, all kinds of places to go here. He, he knew this. He literally knew this was going to happen. And yet Jesus wept, genuinely sorrowed with these who were hurting over his friend Lazarus. Now notice something here. So this, is, this again helps us to understand how to deal with those who are weeping, those who are hurting. Notice how Jesus did not say, what are you weeping for, Mary? I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's okay. No big deal. It's not that bad. You see what I'm saying? He, he, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He very easily could have gone right to the solution, but he didn't. Instead, he wept with them first. Right where they were. Entered into that pain and acknowledged, this is real. And this hurts. And he wept with them. Then he dealt with the problem. And then, not only do we have the weeping woman, and not only do we have a woman who was massively misunderstood by her husband and her high priest, but finally, thank the Lord, we come to a woman of peace, a peaceful woman. She was a peaceful woman here in verses 15 through 18. Look what it says. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. No, I'm not drunk. She says, I have, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Wow. 
glorious. What happened? She couldn't eat before. She only could weep. Her husband said, what's wrong? Why can't, why are you weeping? And why can't you eat? And all that. And we, we finally get to this part where now she eats. No longer sad, no longer weeping. There's peace where there was once pain and turmoil. What's, what's happening here? What, what, what happened to give her peace? She poured out her pain and her hurt on God, believing that he could take it. <laughs> you know, and this is something, again, I, I, this, is, this, is, this is sometimes hard for us to feel like we can go to God and just rail on him sometimes, just, just throw out our pain and suffering and cry and weep and say, I don't understand why. I know we've been taught, don't ever ask why right? Never question why. King David never saw that memo. Many, many believers throughout the scriptures never got that note. <laughs> and they model for us puny little humans who have no clue on how to deal with anything, because we are the created thing, and we're out of control. We don't, we're not in control of our circumstances. And so we have model after model throughout Scripture of those who trust God going to Him and weeping in His presence out of the pain that they're suffering. The pain is real, the confusion is real, right? The hurt is real, and yet they can cry out to Him and lay it all out. He's big enough to take it. Trust me. I love what Dale Ralph Davis says here concerning this. He says, she addresses the Lord of hosts, cosmic ruler, sovereign of all power, and assumes that the broken heart of a relatively obscure woman in the hill country of Ephraim matters to him. And it does. And that's the grand balance of this thing. That, that we can approach the sovereign, cosmic ruler, Lord of hosts, and expect that he cares about us. Right here in Cincinnati 2021, he listens, he hears, he's a high priest that has felt our pain and he has the solution. And the key, I think, to her happiness is not so much that the high priest said, go in peace and may God grant your prayer. If you know Eli, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in his spiritual advice anyway. This guy is corrupt. He's let his sons run amok and, and make a mockery of the temple. We're going to see more of that. It's kind of his duty as a priest. So, okay, God bless you and, and have a great day. That's kind of what he said. No, her confidence and her peace came from the very action of pouring out her soul to a God who she believed was sovereign and could bring peace to her pain. This is what David said, right, in Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint 
before him, I tell my trouble before him. Folks, we've got to do this. If we're not doing this, we're, we're really not living the Christian life. The Christian life is trusting God. And if we're honestly trusting God, we're going we're gonna to be honest about our pain and our suffering and our, our confusion about things in this world. And we are going to be on our knees daily crying out to God, weeping to God, laying out all of our soul before God, pouring it out. And he welcomes that. He hears that. David went on to say in Psalm 6, 8, he said, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. I'm not going to let the enemy, my flesh, the lies it tells me, Satan, the lies he tells, this world, the lies it tells me. No, wait a minute. Depart from me, all you workers of, of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. God hears the sound of his children's weeping. There's our confidence. That alone can bring us peace. Doesn't mean everything is all of a sudden cured and gone, but we have a peace knowing that God accepts and hears our weeping. So I beg you this morning, just be like Hannah. I mean, without knowing whether or not God will grant her petition. This is where she's at at this point. He, she didn't know at that point that God would genuinely grant her petition, but she had peace knowing that, that she had laid everything out before him and that he was the only one that could do anything for her. He was the one that knew what's best. That's the other place our peace comes from, knowing that he is the one who knows what's best and what we're praying for may be the worst thing for us. We don't know that. But it all comes back to trusting in the sovereign God. So I beg you to trust in the one who understands you like no one else ever could. The one who takes your pain and gives you peace. I mean, think about this. He was willing to become your worst that you might become his best. How can we not trust that God? How can I not lay everything down at his feet? Who else in the world would I run to to weep and cry than him? the one who became my worst so that I could become his best. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is all about. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's trust that God. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And we pray now that you will make this effectual to hurting hearts here right now. That one who right now needs to just cry out to you, fall upon your mercy and grace, trust you with all their heart. Give them the ability to do that. Give all of us the ability to rest and trust in you, even when we don't see a possible solution. Let it be enough for us to run into the arms of the one who was willing to crush his son that we might become righteous. Let us trust you. Though you slay us, let us trust you like Job did. For your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.